This is episode 308 of the AWS podcast, released on April 14, 2019. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lisha here with you. Great to have you back, and I'm joined by my regular co-host, Nikki Klein. Welcome, Nikki. Hi, everyone. Glad to be back. It's good to have you back. Now, you are um, in deep preparations for yet more travel because you are the magical traveling person, aren't you, of of our crew? That's Uh, right. (laughs) London on Saturday. It's a tough life. It's a tough life. (laughs) So we thought we should definitely get together before you hit the road to record some updates because there have been a bunch of uh, new things going on and we are going to absolutely crank through them today, aren't we? (laughs) So many updates. So the first one is uh, the announcement of a new AWS region in Indonesia that's going to be made available. It's in the works at the moment. So this will be the AWS Asia-Pacific Jakarta region in Indonesia, which is super exciting. Uh, It's going to be based in Greater Jakarta. There'll be three availability zones, all the good stuff that we like. So this this will be the ninth region in Asia-Pacific. So this will join Beijing, Mumbai, Ningxia, Seoul, Singapore, Sydney, Tokyo, and the upcoming region in Hong Kong, SAR. So pretty exciting there, Nikki. Super exciting. Moving over to the storage announcements, uh, we have the announcement of the new Amazon S3 storage class, Glacier Deep Archive, uh, which if you remember from reInvent was announced in limited preview, but is now um, in GA. And we launched it at the Santa Clara Summit on March 27th. There is an awesome launch pad on it, if, and I'm, I'm hosting it if you want to check it out. But if you don't remember, um, the Glacier Deep Archive Storage class um, is basically a great substitute for tape archival. So you can now easily move off of tape and onto Deep Archive for lower cost um, and ease of access. And you can do so in the console uh, very easily just by going into properties. You can also do so using the AWS CLI. You can put something directly into Glacier Deep Archive, and you can also move something into Glacier Deep Archive, as well as the ability to use lifecycle policies to move things to Glacier Deep Archive after a certain number of days or time. And the, and the and one of the big advantages here, I mean, it's such a cool announcement. It's because it's up to seventy five percent less than uh, existing S three Glacier. So it's like super low rock bottom prices to put your long term storage. Because the difference here is, of course, that the retrieval time is uh, uh, twelve hours versus um, immediate type retrieval. But for certain use cases, that's totally fine. Exactly. And it's a great, great place to now move tape. So if you're still on tape, uh, this is a great place to move your tape-based backups to uh, Glacier Deep Archive for more cost-effective backup and storage. That's a huge announcement. And a few other storage things. So Storage Gateway, of course, now supports Amazon S3 Object Lock uh, to File Gateway. So this is useful if you have uh, a write once read many capability that's now available in the gateway. And of course, as Nikki mentioned, uh, the storage gateway now uses tape gateway with the S3 Glacier Deep Archive. So they're all happily living together. Another quick update is that AWS Transfer for SFTP now supports AWS Private Link. So you can have private uh, endpoints within your VPC. And also you can now deploy a NLB, a network load balancer that uses your SFTP server's VPC endpoint to associate elastic IPs. It's turtles all the way down, Nikki. But what this is for is you can actually actually, uh, enable your end users to whitelist your SFTP server's IP addresses, which in the SFTP world is kind of a big deal. So that was pretty cool. 
Moving on, Amazon FSx for Lustre now supports access from Amazon Linux. So if you're running a EC2 instance using Amazon Linux, you can now access your um, file system for Lustre, which is great. AWS also has introduced CSI drivers for Amazon EFS and Amazon FSx for Lustre. Um, so both file systems, our regular EFS as well as our file system for Lustre, uh, the CSI drivers are now available for those two. So let's hit some database updates. There's a bunch that I'm going to absolutely rattle through here. Firstly, price drop. We love a price drop. Amazon DynamoDB now drops the price of global tables because it has eliminated the associated charges for DynamoDB streams. So you're not billed for stream resources used by global tables for replicating changes from one replica table to another. Another performance improvement is Amazon Elastic Cache Redis 5.0.3 has a IO performance boost. If you're using a machine with four or more CPUs, then you can get up to an 83% increase in throughput and 47% reduction in latency per node. I like those kinds of numbers. Amazon Redshift uh, now has concurrency scaling as well, so you can get very fast performance during bursts of activities. This allows you to basically, well, you don't even have to do anything. It is free and it does it automatically. Basically, it gives you... Uh, an accrual credit for concurrency scaling that happens transparently and for free when you're cranking up your cluster. So this is really useful for for bursty workloads, isn't it, Nikki? Yeah, definitely. It's very interesting that it's also free. Performance Insights is now GA on Amazon RDS from MariaDB. So if you've used Performance Insights with RDS, you can now use it if you have a MariaDB instance. Um, RDS has also added support for MySQL versions 5.7.25, 5.7.24, and MariaDB version 10.2.21. Amazon Aurora with MySQL 5.7 now supports GTID-based replication. Um, If you are familiar with MySQL, GTID is a global transaction identifier, which is a unique identifier created and associated with each transaction committed to a MySQL database, and that is now supported with Amazon Aurora that's running MySQL. Very nifty. Now, I think we mentioned in the past that Postgres 11 is now supported in Amazon RDS, so that's just a reminder because there's a bunch of new packages that are supported there. And Amazon Aurora with Postgres SQL compatibility now supports logical replication, which is very powerful because it lets you uh, replicate to other databases using native Postgres SQL replication slots, or you can use data replication tools like DMS. So this is a very interesting capability to give you more flexibility. And speaking of which, you can now also restore an encrypted Amazon Aurora Postgres SQL database from an unencrypted snapshot. So again, this is useful to enhance the security in your environment. Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports in-region read replicas with active data guard for read scalability and availability. So basically, it makes it easy to create the replicas in the same AWS region as the DB instance and fully manages the configuration of active data guard while maintaining secure network connections between the database instance and its replicas. AWS schema conversion tool added support for migrating Oracle ETL jobs to AWS Glue. So if you are current using Oracle ETL jobs, you can now migrate them and use them in AWS Glue. Um, AWS Glue is a service that allows you to do ETL inside your AWS environment. They also added support for new endpoints. In addition to the Oracle ETL support, we now have endpoints for Let's see, RDS from MariaDB 10.2 and 10.3 as a target support, um, SAP ASE, and Oracle extension when migrating Oracle to PostgreSQL. Yeah, it's a, a bunch of flexibility. The schema conversion tool is one of my favorite tools, I have to say, because it takes care of the undifferentiated heavy lifting of migrations, which can be painful when you're trying to 
uh, reformat your um, your particular schema or your stored procedures. And what it does is it converts where it can. So usually it's about 80% of stuff it hits. Sometimes you get 100%. But also it produces a report about what it can't do. And then you can make a really educated assessment about how complex or easy this will be to do your migration. So a, a pretty powerful capability. One last database thing, Amazon Neptune. Uh, now has a 99.9% SLA. So this is a fast, reliable, and fully managed graph database service. And this is, makes it very easy to uh, build and run applications that work with those very highly connected data sets. Typically, graph model type things typically tend to play into sort of social media and other relation type things. Let's move on to analytics, Nikki. Yeah, in analytics, Amazon QuickSight has announced uh, the GA availability of ML Insight. So if you didn't hear this announcement, it was announced at reInvent. Um, but QuickSight announced machine learning insights. So now beyond just being able to visualize your data, you can now get in business insights in Amazon QuickSight. AWS Glue has enabled running Apache Spark SQL query queries. So AWS Glue, again, is our ETL service. It's a great service. Um, so now you can use AWS Glue data catalog um, as an external Apache Hive metastore, which is great. Um, it also supports resource tagging. So AWS Glue has added support for resource tagging. So now you can tag all your resources, which allows you to see all of them um, in the cost center and all, all the different places. And a couple of updates around streaming data. Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics now supports AWS CloudTrail logging. So you can see what's going on with your particular uh, stream. And Kinesis Data Analytics is really powerful because it lets you Analyze streaming data in near real time, which is very, very powerful using SQL. And I like using SQL. Uh, you can also do <laughs> you can also do tag on create and uh, tag based IAM application for uh, Amazon Kinesis Data Firehose. So you can not just set tags uh, yourself when you create things, but have it as a part of the policy. And an organized cloud is a nice cloud, I think. Moving over to compute. Uh, EKS has introduced the Kubernetes API server endpoint access control. So you can now control access to your Kubernetes API server endpoint, which would be managed by EKS, so that traffic between your Kubernetes worker nodes and the kubectl command line tool and your EKS managed Kubernetes API stays within your VPC. So this allows you to isolate the Kubernetes control plane and worker nodes within your VPC, providing an additional layer of protection to hardened clusters against attack or exposure by accident. And this this is actually a pretty big deal for, for Kubernetes users because they want to um, obviously secure their clusters as much as possible. But you did, you did mention something that triggered a thought in me is that there was a big debate on Twitter around whether it's kubectl, kube control, and I think one of the original authors uh, put the definitive in there. But I think this is going to become the new, is it GIF or JIF argument? Oh, this is like the AMI versus AMI argument. That one there's, there's no is still there's, going. No, there's no argument. It's AMI. Uh, I don't see what the problem is. Okay, I agree with you that it's <laughs> AMI. However, there are many people that work for I, I don't, company. There are people shaking their fists at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Um, speaking of EKS, we have a, the public preview for Windows container support. So this is really useful if you are wanting to do uh, either a mix of services for Windows and Linux or just uh, Windows itself. So this lets you have a preview of that. And there's also a new version. So Amazon EKS now supports Kubernetes version 1.12 and cluster version updates via CloudFormation, which is very nice, pretty, pretty chuffed about that second one. Um, but just a reminder that um, we will be supporting the previous three versions. So this also helps the end of life uh, situation. So the Amazon EKS support mirrors the Kubernetes compu 
community by providing full support for the three most recent releases. So Kubernetes 1.10, 1.11 and 1.12 are all fully supported today and new clusters can be started with any of these releases. However, it's very important for you to consider moving forward towards the most recent releases. So we recommend that customers who are using an, an older version use the EKS update cluster version API to upgrade their existing uh, you know, 1.0 cluster to something newer as soon as you can. I'm personally very excited that EKS now supports uh, Windows containers, <laughs> but I'm probably... Are, are you heavily invested uh, in that uh, improvement? <laughs> I, uh, I've, I ran Windows containers on ECS several times and uh, I wanted to try it on EKS. So I'm, I'm very excited to, uh, you'll to have dabble to with that. You'll have to report back. I will. You can be like our, rep- our live roving reporter. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving forward, there are new local testing tools available for Amazon ECS. They, uh, we created a Docker image. Um, it's located, the name of it is in our GitHub repo, and you can now actually just uh, clone that image and run your container inside that image um, to actually test locally and make sure that your containers, once you put them up into the cloud, you'll have similar experiences and you can work through some of your issues before you even uh, host your containers in the cloud, which is great. It's great for developers (laughs) anyways. uh, Fargate and ECS now support external deployment controllers. So what that means is that tasks that are set are, are a new primitive to allow controlled management of application revision within a single ECS service. So you now have new APIs to manage multiple revisions of your application, transitioning from one revision to the other. Fargate has also added secrets and enhanced container dependency management. So you can now reference sensitive information in the AWS Secrets Manager when using Fargate, And uh, so this means you can store it in Secrets Manager or AWS Systems Manager Parameters uh, Store. So that's great. And then Enhanced Container Dependency Management, you can also specify additional task definition parameters that enable defining dependencies for container startup and shutdown, as well as per container start and stop timeout uh, using Fargate PV 1.3. There is so much good stuff happening. It's it's like it's like Christmas for developers. You just get all, <laughs> all, all these choices. In fact, there was something that came out recently that really caught my eye, which is something called AWS Event Fork Pipelines. And these are nested applications for event-driven serverless architectures. So if you consider when you're building a, an event-driven application, there are a lot of common things you have to do. You might want to um, have system auditability, backups, uh, data disaster recovery, et cetera. So these uh, pre-built pipelines let you do things like event storage and backup, event search and analytics, event replay. This is just the beginning. So I think it's really an an interesting area and probably uh, worthy of a deep dive in the future. Something else that's available now is the Amazon EC2 M5 AD and R5 AD. These are new instance types which feature the AMD EPIC processors, and I do like saying EPIC because it's pretty EPIC to talk about that. These are really useful for uh, for a variety of different workloads, and if that's a, a chipset that appeals to you, you've got that. And one last but perfectly formed update is that uh, Amazon EC2 scheduled events, you can now choose at what time those scheduled events will be implemented in your account. So you get more flexibility, which can be useful if you're working within quite constrained change windows, etc. Moving over to IoT, AWS IoT Analytics now supports single step setup of IoT analytics resources. So that's right. One click is all it takes now to set up IoT analytics resources, and that's great. How many clicks? AWS, I missed that. How many, how many clicks? One <laughs> click. Just one. Okay. <laughs> Just one. Just the click of a button. Love it. 
AWS IoT Greengrass added a new connector for AWS IoT analytics and support for AWS CloudFormation templates and integration with fleet indexing. There was a lot there, so let's break it down. <laughs> Greengrass now offers a new connector for AWS IoT analytics, which I just told you, you could set it up with one click. Um, so now you can quickly set up connections between your IoT Greengrass cores and AWS IoT analytics for analysis of complex IoT data, and you can streamline IoT Greengrass deployments for one or more accounts using familiar CloudFormation templates. So that's great. So we now support CloudFormation templates as well. Um, and then the last one in there was fleet indexing. So Greengrass devices are now fully integrated with AWS IoT fleet indexing, which is an IoT device management service that enables customers to index and search for their devices based on device attributes or state in the cloud. Very nifty. And a, a bunch of other quick IoT updates. We have the IoT device tester. Version 1.1 is now available for Greengrass versus 1.8. Uh, testing is an important thing to do. You can now use the tester to make sure things work. Uh, IoT Core now supports HTTP REST APIs with X509 client-based certificate authentication on port 443, really useful in constrained environments. We did talk about uh, the fleet metrics and you can generate those out straight out of IoT device management. So what this lets you do is count the number of devices that match a given query. Uh, that sounds really easy until you think about, well, how do I make sure that uh, I can count the number of uh, devices I've got when I've got literally millions, if not billions out there, uh, and I need to know a particular firmware version or battery level, et cetera. Now you can get it, the whole thing. So, for example, you could say, tell me all the number of devices currently connected to AWS IoT with a battery level greater than 50% and with a firmware version of 5.1. Um, those types of things are now easy where they used to be hard. That's great. I love things when they're easy. <laughs> Moving over to end-user computing, um, Amazon AppStream now supports iPad and Android tablets and touch gestures. So if you're not familiar with AppStream, um, it's a streaming service that allows you to stream desktop applications to users without rewriting those applications um, as mobile apps. So it's great, great, uh, great service that we offer and. We are now supporting iPad and Android tablets. Uh, Amazon WorkDocs Drive now supports offline content and offline search. I'm super excited about this one because we use WorkDocs work and I'm always on a plane. So I love the <laughs> ability to now work offline. And the last, and one of the last ones is that Amazon Chime um, now support business calling, lets you text or call over a hundred countries. So this is a brand new feature of Chime. Um, that you can use directly from the Amazon Chime desktop, mobile, and web applications. So you can now call or text over 100 countries. That's very cool. Uh, if you're using Alexa for business, it now lets you create Alexa skills for your organization using skill blueprints. So this means you can get up and running uh, in minutes without writing any code. Um, all these blueprints are there. It's just basically following the bouncing ball and away you go. There's also two new blueprints. There's the business Q&A and the onboard guide, which are uh, really tailored for, for business use. The onboard guide is a really interesting one because it's optimized for location and how-to questions. So you may say something like, um, you know, where's the mailing center or how do I set up corporate email on my phone, et cetera. Just the, the fundamental questions, which is pretty cool. Now, um, it's interesting because Alexa for Business is kind of an application of machine learning and AI, but let's get into the machine learning updates because there are a few. Uh, firstly, if you're using the AWS Deep Learning AMIs, uh, there is now support for Amazon Linux 2, TensorFlow one point one three point one 
MXNet 1.4.0 and China 5.3.0. So basically, if you're using those uh, those AMIs, not armies, those AMIs, uh, you're going to want to continually keep them up to date because what we're seeing is great performance improvements and the ability to take advantage of a lot of uh, some of the cool hardware that we have, uh, things like the Volta V100 GPUs, etc. We're also introducing some new AWS Deep Learning containers, and these are Docker images pre-installed with deep learning frameworks to make it really easy to deploy your environments quickly. Uh, these support TensorFlow and Apache, Apache MXNet with PyTorch coming soon. That was actually one of my favorite announcements from the Santa Clara Summit was the AWS Deep Learning Containers, and the uh, container team actually came out for a launchpad session, so definitely check that out. Uh, moving forward, Amazon Transcribe now supports uh, speech-to-text in German and Korean, so I, I personally love Transcribe. So two more languages added to the list of languages already available, including English, British English, Australian English, Spanish, Canadian French, French, Italian, and Brazilian Portuguese. Uh, Transcribe has also enhanced custom vocabulary with custom pronunciations and display forms. Um, so you can now give Transcribe more information about how to process speech in your input audio or video file by creating a custom vocabulary, which is a specific set of words that you want Transcribe to recognize in your audio input. So these could be like generally domain-specific words and phrases or proper nouns or things that Transcribe might not be able to recognize. Very nifty. Uh, Amazon Comprehend, which is a natural language processing service, now supports AWS KMS encryption. So, of course, now you can encrypt all the things, which is always a good thing to do. There's also a new Python script, and Python at the moment is my language of choice. So I'm very, uh, you know, I change over time, and Python is the one I'm using at the moment. Uh, and the good news is there's a script to get started very quickly with Amazon Elastic Inference. Now, this allows you to attach low-cost GPU-powered acceleration to Amazon EC2 and Amazon SageMaker instances to reduce the cost of running deep learning inference by up to 75%. Uh, there's a lot to be said for putting the right amount of processing in the right place at the right time, Nikki. Absolutely. Python is now your language of choice. That's interesting. I just started writing Python, so we'll see if it becomes mine. <laughs> we can have massive arguments about whether it's good or not. <laughs> there's a lot of things I like and a lot of things I don't like at the same time, but yeah. I hear you. <laughs> That's a whole other episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Moving on to networking, um, application load balancers now support advanced request routing, which is great. So, you know, previously we had request routing based on headers, methods, query parameters. This launch actually extends support for host, header, and path-based routing rules in application load balancers by offering more fields from HTTP request messages. And this richer set of routing criteria enables you to further simplify your app architecture by offloading routing functionality to the load balancer. Yeah, this, this um, is a super big deal, isn't it? I mean, this, this lets you do things that you had to write a whole bunch of logic before, and now you can do things like, you know, if it's a slash sign-in or a slash login or a slash auth, you can send it straight to the particular service that it needs to go to with one rule. It's, it's less code. It's a good thing. That's right. It's especially great if you're also building serverless applications um, because you might yes. put an ALB now in front of a Lambda since you can do that now and uh, use this uh, support advanced request routing to do exactly what you said, have different paths leading to different services. Continuing on, we are announcing multi-account support for Direct Connect Gateway. So Direct Connect enables you to connect between on-prem networks and Amazon VPCs um, in any region. Prior to multi-account support, you could only associate your VPCs with a Direct Connect Gateway in the same AWS account, and now you can do it in multiple accounts. So that's great. 
Moving on to my favorite topic, developer tools, uh, AWS AppMesh is now GA. So AppMesh was officially announced at reInvent, and it is a service mesh that provides application-level networking to make it easy for services to communicate with each other across multiple types of compute. So if you are building microservices as containers or serverless, um, AppMesh can actually help you uh, have them all talk to each other and communicate effectively and easily, ensuring high availability for your applications and giving you end-to-end -end visibility for all the different microservices. The AWS Toolkit for IntelliJ is now GA, another Launchpad announcement from Santa Clara Summit, which has a really cool Launchpad demo if you want to check it out. <laughs> and who, who might be doing that Launchpad demo, Nikki? <laughs> I, I don't know. Oh, like, who could have ever people, have been participating People will go and have to demo. have a look. <laughs> <laughs> That was a good. It was a good launch, though, because um, you know, because if there's one thing that developers can all agree on, in, is which IDE they like. Uh, so, um, <laughs> 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 so I think we've got the toolkit for IntelliJ now. The uh, the toolkit for Visual Studio Code is in developer preview, and that's available now as well. And also, AWS Cloud Nine, which is a cloud based development environment, now supports Ubuntu development environments as well, which is pretty cool. Did you get Did you get many customers talking to you about that at the conference? Um, I got more customers talking to me about the toolkit for VS Code, actually, and I uh, did a live stream of the VS Code installation and how it works uh, last week on my on my Twitch channel, if anybody wants to check it out. Um, I installed it, and I show you everything you can do with it, even though it's just in developer preview. Um, you can still install it from the marketplace really easily in your instance of VS Code. Nifty, nifty. And if you're actually coding, coding... Amplify Framework, uh, it gives you some enhancements to authentication for iOS, Android, and React native developers. Uh, Amplify is one of those, these ones that I think when people use it, they're delighted because it's like, I did so little and I got so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how I feel when I use Amplify. Like you, you described it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, AWS Code Pipeline adds action level details to pipeline execution history. So you can see what absolutely took place when those executions happened. Because let's face it, whilst you can build your pipelines, they don't always operate as we wanted them to operate because stuff happens. <laughs> so yes, this, this helps you debug and debugging is, uh, is uh, what we spend a lot of our time doing. Moving on to application integration, API Gateway has improved API publishing and also added features to enhance the user experience. So you can now easily publish APIs on the API Gateway serverless developer portal, which is supported by API Gateway. In addition, using this new portal has new search functionality, feedback mechanisms, and SDK generation capabilities. You can also increase the discoverability and utility of your APIs for your customers. That's pretty and, exciting. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an brilliant. API. It's an API-driven world these days, isn't it? Yeah, especially if you're an API publisher. Like this announcement is is uh, crucial for you. Absolutely. Moving on to game tech, there were over 190 updates that came to Lumberyard Beta 1.18, which is available now. Will, will you be reciting? Will you be reciting all 190 updates? From now? <laughs> uh, you know what? <laughs> Maybe not. I don't think we have time for that. I also am not a game developer, so I feel like I don't really understand how cool these updates are. Like I wish I did, though. Well, there's a, a lot of there's a lot of maths. There's a lot of um, of uh, analytics. There's a lot of uh, layered based development, etc., and a bunch of performance improvements too. So that was pretty interesting. In fact, I think uh, they're talking about some uh, an, an, an analysis improvement where in one game with over ten thousand assets. They saw an 85% reduction in the time it took to launch Lumberyard, which is a good thing. 
That's pretty cool. That one I can understand. Yeah. <laughs> Faster is good. Uh, Amazon Game Lift real-time servers is now in preview. So you can um, basically quickly create affordable game servers, which is always a royal pain when you're doing a multiplayer game and you want a really good experience. So this is something to have a look at if this is the world you live in. If you live in the media world, there is now detailed job progress status and server-side SRE encryption for AWS Elemental Media Convert. There's also now live streaming with automated multi-language subtitling as well. And you can also uh, now leverage with the video on demand on AWS. It now uses the AWS Elemental Media Convert QVBR mode as well. So basically, if you're in the media space, you need to look at the Elemental stuff because I've been speaking with a lot of customers who do a lot of media, often for um, educational purposes, and they are loving the capabilities here. So it's pretty cool. Definitely. Moving on to management and governance, um, you can now use AWS config rules to remediate non-compliant resources. So there's now remediation capability with the config rules, which gives you ability to associate and execute remediation actions with your AWS config rules to address any resources that weren't compliant. So you can choose from a list of available remediation actions. So when you find a non-compliant resource, um, you can make it do X, which is great. AWS config also now supports tagging of AWS config resources. Again, tagging is a great uh, way to manage cost um, and also just manage which resources belong to which application or which set of applications. And you can also query based on resource configuration properties in AWS config. So now using AWS config, you have the ability to run advanced queries based on resource config properties, which makes it easier to assess your resource configurations to help you meet compliance, cost, auditing, and security requirements, which are all important things if you are running a business. They are indeed. And uh, the config team's been busy. They've also added support for Amazon API Gateway as well, so you can monitor those. Uh, Amazon Inspector, which runs security assessments on your EC2 and also your on-premises servers, um, it now supports the EC2 A1 instances, which is our ARM-based AWS Graviton processes as well. Also, service control policies in AWS organizations now let you have fine-grained permission controls. It lets you really, really drill down into the specific requirements. There's a new policy editor. This is really powerful. If you have an environment where you need to constrain what people can and can't do, this is the place you want to look at. There are also now uh, resource-level policies for Amazon CloudWatch alarms. So you can now create tags in CloudWatch alarms that let you define policy controls for your AWS resources. So this means if there's certain stuff you want to look at, you can drill right into it. And speaking of drilling right into it, you can also now use search expressions as well when you're looking into your dashboards. So you can pull things out um, very easily. And this is really useful because you can combine it with the metric math as well. Uh, so you can just do a whole bunch of sums and searches and tracking and the sky's the limit, really. CloudWatch is on a roll. <laughs> Moving on, AWS Systems Manager announces 99.9% SLA now, so that's great. Um, and robotics, finally robotics. RoboMaker has also announced a 99.9% service level agreement. So this SLA provides availability guarantees for AWS RoboMaker simulation. And RoboMaker has also announced new build, a new build and bundle feature that makes it up to 10 times faster to up, update a simulation job or a robot. So if you do like developing, testing, and deploying intelligent robots or robotic applications at scale, this new build and bundle feature um, allows you to decouple the application code and the dependency code, as well as update your simulation jobs and robots with only the changes in your application code and leave dependency code unchanged, making your update significantly 
significantly faster. That's up to 10 times. So, it's so, pretty cool. So Nikki, is the pro tip there to say to your boss, hey, hey boss, I've made the robotics processing 10 times faster than before. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Just want to check. Uh, let's talk security because security is super important. Uh, there is now a renewal command for AWS Certificate Manager. So this allows you to make renewals a lot easier. And let's face it, it's one thing to have certificates, but you do not want them to expire. Uh, this command is for developers who want to test the managed renewal and deployment of their ACM private CA certificates and make sure the end-to-end -end process works. So it's a very nifty little feature. The AWS Key Management Service also has increased the default limit for keys, aliases, and grants. So the limits have increased uh, from 1,000 to 10,000 for custom managed CMKs, from 1,100 to 10,000 for aliens, aliases, and from 2,500 to 10,000 for grants per CMK in all regions where KMS is available. So this is all about scalability. Uh, the good news is you don't have to do anything. You just get it automatically. And also AWS Firewall Manager now supports AWS Shield Advanced. So you can bring that as part of your overall protection and safeguard approach to protect against the uh, scary stuff that can happen out on the internet. So this lets you have a holistic view and get central visibility into all the threats that Shield Advanced have detected across all applications in your environment. And finally, moving on to the topic of solutions, we have a new AWS SAP Navigate track. So Businesses of all sizes are running SAP in the cloud to simplify infrastructure management, improve time to market, and lower costs. This new track will create a prescriptive journey for uh, APN partners who want to learn the skills and tools to expand their ability to support SAP customers on the AWS cloud. And finally, we have a brand new quick start to deploy micro-focus plate spin um, migration on AWS. And that's a really useful way to migrate uh your particular applications across from the physical, virtual and cloud infrastructures in your data center to AWS. And uh, migration is a thing that uh, people spend a lot of time on. So making it easy is a good thing. Nikki, totally. we have covered, if I count correctly, something like 97 different updates for customers, which is pretty 97? darn exciting. <laughs> oh my, <laughs> that is a lot of updates. Mm -hmm. We just went through 97? Really? 97. So it's lucky both of us had had our coffee this morning. If you're still listening, you are a champ at this point. <laughs> yeah, there will be a quiz later on. <laughs> well, the, the exciting thing is I'm hoping that, that for, for everyone listening that there's been one thing that, uh, that really leapt out and they said, oh, that, that's something I've got to use or that's something I'm going to, going to take advantage of. Um, actually, when you were doing your, um, your Launchpad stuff, what, was, what would you say was the thing that from, from a, 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 a Twitch perspective, people really kind of – there was a buzz about that people got excited for? Uh, the deep learning containers were definitely a huge buzz on that one. Um, the other one I saw a huge buzz on was the actual, the Glacier Deep Archive announcement. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot I of people lot super of people. excited about that. And it, it's been interesting yeah. watching people do the, the the calculation for their local region to say, well, what's this going to cost me you know, per terabyte per month? And it's like, I've got to run that maths again because it doesn't look right because it's too <laughs> low. It's like, no, that's correct. Exactly. <laughs> hey, uh, Nikki, you better go catch a plane. <laughs> I got to catch a flight, but I, I'm really happy that we got through all 97 of those announcements. And I think I'm a little weird because I got excited at like 20 of them at least, <laughs> like, <laughs> ridiculously excited. I know you said, you know, if you if one of these excited you, it was, it was like 20 for me. I'm glad. Well, you will be very busy on the plane then. I will. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm going to do on this plane. Travel well. Thank you so much, Simon. 
And thanks everyone for listening. We do love to get your feedback. Podcast at amazon.com is the place to do that. And of course, if you can give us a review on the, the podcatcher of choice that you use, a five-star review always goes down well. Uh, we do love to get that as well. You can also give us feedback on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter and I'll catch you on the road, Simon. Absolutely. And until next time, keep on building.